Fate would like to thank Jack Rieschen and company for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. Rieschen manufactures all sorts of painting and drawing supplies. That's oils, acrylics, watercolors, pastels, charcoal, you name it. They probably make it. Heck, they even have studio furniture. Make sure to check out Jack Rieschen at rieschenart.com. That's R-I-C-H-E-S-O-N-A-R-T.com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory, and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Joining us via Skype is Susan Altman, Associate Professor, Assistant Chairperson at the Visual Performing and Media Arts Department at Middlesex County College. Welcome, Susan. Thanks, Valerie. Oh, it's really great to have you here. I definitely appreciate your time and and willingness to chat with us. I thought we'd start in the beginning just kind of as a get a general introduction to, to you as an artist and an educator. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is very exciting. So I am actually, I began my 33rd year as a professor this past year, past fall semester, and I am at Middlesex County College, which is a two-year college in New Jersey, and we teach foundations. So it's really very exciting. Um, We're a small department, so I actually teach everything, not what I expected when I first became a professor, but I I do teach everything. I've even taught art history and sculpture. My own practice, I'm a... My studio practice is in drawing and printmaking. I like to say I was born a printmaker. Um, Large charcoal drawings and um, etchings. And my studio practice always informs my teaching and, and the other way around. So it is... For me, very exciting to be part of a foundations program. Um, We really prepare students to go on. Which is so important. Do you find that being at a two-year college, do you find that that's um, a little bit different in terms of the students or has unique challenges? Well, it's interesting because I started my career at an art school. Then I went to a research one university and then I wound up at Middlesex. And actually, it's really been a fantastic career. Um, I think there are different challenges to teaching at a community college, but at the same time, we really teach them foundations, and we're very strong about teaching them as if they're in the first two years of a four-year program. We have an AFA degree, which is you know the Associate of Fine Arts degree, so we really want to prepare them because we don't know where they're going. So there are challenges. Some of it is that they're not as well prepared. Um, One of the things, we don't have portfolio reviews. So if you want to be an art major, you're an art major. So that, I think, is a little bit of a challenge where, you know, when you have a portfolio review, you've already accepted students who have a certain level of talent and ability. So I think that's a challenge. But we really treat them like they're in the first two years of a BFA program. And I think that makes a difference because I at least have very high expectations for my students. And I love teaching them. Diverse students, adult learners. ESL students, you know, English language learners. We have a really diverse community, and that's what's great. They're not all 18-year-olds. Right, right. Well, and I've I found that when I have high expectations for my students, they meet them. 
Yes. You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of a wonderful thing that happens. No, I agree. I think the high expectations, they do rise to meet them. One of the challenges, though, is that we have a little less time to get them prepared and to get them to have competent work because we they need to prepare a portfolio because most of our students do transfer to four-year institutions. So that's a little bit of a challenge, and which sort of changes the nature of foundations because they don't have as much time to experiment, even though we do want them to experiment, because that's how you mistakes make mistakes, that's how you fail forward, that's how you discover things. But, you know, we have a shorter period to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like everything has to be kind of accelerated a little bit, right? Yes, yes, because by their second year, they're already starting to look for schools, and they're working on their portfolio, which is tough. Right, right, because they're sort of still in the middle of things. Yes. Yes. And they're moving into what we call upper level courses. So, you know, they've done their 2D, their 3D, their drawing, and now they're doing painting or printmaking. And, you know, they haven't quite developed that yet. And they've got to throw together a portfolio. Most of our students, as probably across the country, do not finish in two years, maybe two and a half. Sure. And I mean, I, you know, I'm at a four-year state school and we don't have a portfolio review. So it's all the students in my class, they just checked art, you know, and here they are. You know? Yeah, my students too. They say, oh, I think I'll be an art major. But I think right. that's great because you can sort of throw out their preconceived notions and make them, you know, show them different things and really challenge them to think differently. And exactly. even if they're not going to be an artist, you know, you want them to be critical thinkers and to think like artists. So we have, Absolutely. I guess, we have similar things going on at the schools. Definitely. And, you know, I I love the fact that um, it sort of just levels the playing field, you know, because um, anyone can, yeah, decide that they want to be an artist. And it's it's not based on the, the kind of access that they might have had in high school to, to art programs and to be able to put a, together a portfolio. So it's it's kind of nice. Yes. And many of our students, you know, my, my school... I live in New York City, but my students are about 45 miles away, and some of them have never been to New York. Maybe wow. to see the tree, and maybe to go to the Museum of Natural History, which is are fantastic things to go see, but many have never been to an art museum. And so they don't, they're not very sophisticated about art. And every semester that they're at Middlesex, we take them to art galleries in Chelsea, and it's such an enlightening, eye-opening experience for them. And it's always exciting. They'll say, oh, I'm going to come back with my, you know, my parents, my family, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my whoever. And I think that's really exciting. So we really have an opportunity to expose them to things they've never seen before. And they live really close to New York. Well, exactly. I mean, how wonderful. And I mean, that's such a, a really crucial thing. Like, like you were saying, regardless of, of what they end up being when they grow up or, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's so valuable. Yes, and, and they really, they didn't even know galleries existed. And they discover, and I'm always happy when they discover some new artist that they never heard of, and then they say, oh yeah, that's my favorite artist. And then we'll have them another semester, and we go around, who's your favorite artist? And, you know, mostly they say, you know, the usual suspects, Da Vinci and Dolly. And then someone will say someone, they said, oh, I saw him last year, or I saw her last year in Chelsea. And to me, that is so exciting. Oh, wow. Well, so, I mean, because they're not um, exposed to a lot of art prior to coming into your program, do you find that they struggle with contemporary art or think, eh, that looks like a kid could do it or that that's not art? Definitely. <laughs> they, definitely 
Definitely. So I really try and show them contemporary art all the time. I mean, we do send them to Chelsea. You know, the art history students go to the Met, but the, the studio students go to Chelsea, and they are floored by what they see. And they had no concept that that was even art or that mm -hmm. you could even make art like that. And I think that that's really exciting. But we do have that problem. And I think, I don't know, I, I taught at the University of Alaska many years ago, and they also, I, I think wherever you are, there's always that preconceived notion of this is an art or my two-year-old could do it or, you know, that's just a splatter painting or whatever. I think that's across the board. I don't think it's only community college students. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I've, I've taught at a community college previously and I taught at um, the Art Institute of Houston and then now I'm, I'm here at Sam Houston and I think that's that's a commonality that maybe there's a resistance or, you know, just a questioning, like, is this really art? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, which is a great conversation to have in a classroom. I always say you don't have to like it. You need to understand it because they're right. not going to like everything they see. Sure. But they have to be willing to accept that this is art and why. And so I really do a lot of questioning. We have a lot of discussion, but I think it really prepares them because when they do transfer, most of them have gone to Chelsea at least four times. You know, every semester they're at school. And if they're at Middlesex a little longer, they might have gone five or six times. And that's really exciting because they get to a four-year institution, especially a lot transfer to art schools, you know, in the New York area, or they go to Rutgers to Mason Gross, and they're well prepared. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, you, you mentioned that, that you've been teaching. This is now your 33rd year teaching, and you've taught at all these different types of institutions. Are there things that you wish you knew when you first started teaching? That's a great question. I think I learn something new every year. I'm always learning from my students. I'm always learning from what I do. I always change things every semester. I always have new ideas. I think that's really important. I'm very involved in our Center for the Enrichment of Learning and Teaching. I'm also very interested in pedagogy related to teaching of art and critique. So I'm constantly learning new things. So I'm not the same teacher that I was obviously 33 years ago, um, which is good. No one should be. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know, we all know the people with the yellowed notes that have, you know, been right. reading notes for 50 years. But I try not to do that. I really... You know, and I think my students appreciate that because all of a sudden I'll say, oh, wait, I've got a new idea. We're not doing this project. We're doing something different. And, you know, I, yesterday was, for example, so it was our last session in figure drawing and we had a model and my class overlaps with the painting class. So I saw that the painting class had a model and she, she was done about an hour and say 20 minutes before my class finished. And I said, wait, can you stay? Let's do two models together. And my class, I was so excited. I was like, this is so great, guys. We should do this. This is such a great opportunity. And my class just looked at me like, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, this is so fantastic. And, you know, and it was just like a spur of the moment idea. It wasn't what I planned to do. And we did these mixed media drawings and we did large drawings, but it was very exciting. So I'm always changing. I think, I think if you're going to be a professor and you're going to teach, you have to. You have to be aware of what's, what's happening in contemporary art practice. You have to be aware of just in general and be willing to change things and to learn from your students. I learn stuff every day. And not just, you know, contemporary culture, which they always say. They always keep me informed about. You know, some yes. <laughs> word I don't know. 
I know. I feel like I'm I'm learning things from my students about those sorts of things. I'm like, Tinder? Like, what? Is it Tinder? Like, what are you guys saying? Like, <laughs> well, I once wore a belt with a skull on it that someone had given to me. So I wore it to school. I thought it'd be fun. And a student came up and he goes, wow, that's really dope. This was probably about 20 years ago. And I looked at them and I said, is that good? And, you know, <laughs> listen, we are forever in college. And I love that. I love that I'm in college the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it's so fun to get to see students, you know, get excited about art making or get excited about um, an artist and just sort of see that light bulb go off. Yes, I think that's really what excites me most about teaching is when that light bulb goes off and when they get excited. And mostly when, one of the things that I love to do, and I do this every semester, is I do what I call a non-instructional drawing, even if it's a painting class, whatever class I teach. So they, I set up a little still life and I say, okay, for the next hour you're going to draw. I'm not grading this. I just want to see where you are today. And when you leave, you're going to be better. And so we do this drawing and I always say to them, when I return it to you, you'll see, you're going to turn it off. You're going to say to me, I didn't do this. And sure enough, students don't see their progression and they don't see their evolution as artists. And I really love this project because when I return it to them and just, you know, yesterday I returned some and they're going, no, wait, I didn't do this. And then they laugh and they say, oh yeah, I did get better. So when that light bulb goes off and they've experimented and they've made mistakes, but then they've resolved them is really exciting to me. And that's what, what makes teaching fantastic. Mm, that's I'm, such a smart thing to, you know, so they can actually see that progress and it's tangible. Yeah. They don't see, pro the thing is that they don't see progress and they get into that. Oh, this is horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, and then when I pull out that drawing and I don't pull it out till the end of the semester, they really see that they have made progress. And it's always the first drawing in their portfolio for final critiques. And that's part of the conversation that we have is look what you did then and look where you are now and where are you going next, which I think is really important. Oh, that is because then it becomes more of like a celebration of the project of the process, you know, and, and how they've committed to something and they've really improved. Yes. And it is the process because you know, we have a shorter time for the process. So it puts pressure on students and it puts pressure on us because we want them to succeed. We want them to transfer. We want them to be successful when they transfer. So we have a shorter time. And I think that, you know, non-instructional drawing really helps them to see that. And then we always talk about, okay, what are you doing next? Because mm. I think that's important to move them forward. Sure. Like this is ongoing. Like you're never done learning. You're never done improving um, your skill set. Well, I don't think they understand that art is an ongoing process. I don't think everybody understands that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, I think they just sort of imagine that, you know, you have a piece of paper and you do a couple lines and it's really quick and it happens immediately. And then if it doesn't happen immediately, then they must not be good at it. Well, that's true. I think that if it doesn't happen immediately, they do think that they're not good at it or that they're not going to be successful at it. And they don't understand that, yes, you can make mistakes and experimentation leads to something else. It's okay if you fail at it because then the next one, you're, how are you going to change that? And actually my final project, I'm doing something similar. I'm doing, I call it review, revise, remix. So they have to review a work, review their work rev and revise and change it significantly. So We'll see how it works out. It's the first time I've done this. 
Oh, but, wow. So, so is this a, a, like a drawing or a project that, that they did in your semester, like in, no, in that class? It could be in the past. So for my, this is my final painting project. So they can, one student is taking drawings that she did in a figure drawing class. She's tearing them up. She's collaging them into the painting. She's working on top of it. So she's taken something that she wants to change and revising it and remixing it to something new. So we'll see how it works. It's the first time I came up with it. I need a final project. I, I wanted to change it up a little bit. And I also wanted them to look at what they've done in the past and not have it so precious. Because mm. right? everything is like, oh, I did this. I spent 15 hours on it. You know, it must be good. <laughs> right, which is not necessarily the case. <laughs> you know, time e equates quality, which it doesn't right. all. And I try and talk about my own studio practice. Like, I could be in the studio all day and nothing good comes, and that's okay. There's always tomorrow. You know, we've mm -hmm. all been in the studio and not had successful days. Oh, absolutely. Or all I do is arrange all my pens or something, you know. <laughs> but well, it's, you know, it's productive make, still, you know. Yeah, when I make a print sometimes, you know, I'm filing a plate and etching, and I'm like, it's a really good way to postpone the inevitable. Like, I have to start. But filing is sort of cathartic in that way. Mm-hmm. Same here. I, I get a lot of joy from organizing supplies, and then it just sort of, like, calms me down a little bit. Yes, those are procrastination techniques. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your, your role as an administrator. You know, how long have you done that? And, and I, I guess, how has that changed your thoughts on teaching? So we're a small department. We have a chair. We're actually visual performing in media arts. So we include dance. We include communications. We include theater, media arts, you know, digital technologies, Fine Arts, which I am the assistant chair of, and did I skip someone? Dance. Oh, music. So we're empty. <laughs> so we're a very big department. So we have a wonderful chair. And the way we used to be just visual and performing. So there was always the, the chair was the theater person and I was the art person. So we've grown as a department, but our area of visual arts is very, um, we're relatively small. And um, so I work a lot with our faculty and our adjuncts and our students. So I'm really very intimately involved with that and really work as a mentor to many of our new faculty. So that is part of my role as an administrator. Also curriculum development and just in general working with students. I'm, you know, I do a lot of advising. As I said, we are a small department, but we have a lot of students who take classes. We have a, an introduction to art class, which is Gen Ed Humanities. So we have a lot of students from, those are the non-art majors, and we have a lot of students who we really want to do great things for. This may be the only art class they take. So we, I work with all of our art majors to make sure they're on track and help them with portfolios. But we also have this, this cohort of students who are taking art, Maybe they thought it was an easy A. Maybe they like art. A lot of them loved art in high school, but we're not going to be art majors. So, you know, I, I do a lot with the students, and that's really what I love. I love talking to them. You know, I love when 20 years later at Whole Foods in New York City, come, someone comes up to me and says, I still remember how you taught me at Middlesex. And I look at them, and I don't even remember them. But they say, <laughs> they say, you taught me how to draw with my arm, not with my hand. And I'm like, wow, 20 years later, you remember that. So that's really, you know, I love working with students. I, that, that's my favorite part of all of this is, you know, really changing how they think about art and their perceptions. 
Oh, and it's, it's so cool that you're so passionate about it. And it seems like it's not something that's like old hat or, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is what it is, but, but that you, you seem to be genuinely enthusiastic about the whole process. No, I love how lucky are we as art professors that we, we have a studio practice and then every day we go to work and we talk about what we do. Yeah. It's such a privilege. It really is. I mean, some of my friends or don't have the same excitement when they go to work and, you know, I'm excited about it. And even though, you know, I don't always bring my studio practice into the classroom because I think they need to develop their own voice. So I don't like to, you know, I remember some of my professors, they sort of expected you to work the way they worked. And I don't believe that. I think you have to develop your own voice. And I think as professors, we have to ask the right questions to allow students to do that. I don't want them to be me. They shouldn't be me. They need to find their own voice. So I think that's really important. So, you know, but the fact is that I have a studio practice and then, you know, I get to talk about art. So I think that's really, I really, I love what I do. I've been Mm -hmm. doing it a long time, but I really love what I do. And it's all I've only, I've ever done. You know, I got out of graduate school and I worked in a gallery in New York City for two years, which was a fantastic experience. And then I got a teaching job and I've been teaching ever since. So I had a sort of a, direct route to this. Not all at the same institution, but really very exciting in that respect. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, so tell me about mentoring faculty. I mean, how, how do you go about that? I mean, do you have any tips or advice for someone maybe who is stepping into that role for the first time and sort of how to, how to do it well and how to do it authentically? So I have a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, one of your questions that you had, you had sort of, I was thinking about was, you know, what advice do I have for new faculty or people? Mm -hmm. I think finding a mentor is good advice, finding someone that you trust and who you feel comfortable talking to, you know, that's not going to judge you. And and sometimes, you know, my role, they see me as assistant chair, but I also really work with them to, to, you know, improve what they're doing. And, you know, it is a fine line to walk because in some ways, you know, I am assistant chair, so you don't want to be mentored by the person who, who hired you. But on the other hand, um, I really want them to be the best teachers that they can be. So I really believe strongly in academic freedom. But sometimes, you know, a new faculty member needs someone to look over their syllabus and say, yeah, I'm not quite sure you can do, you know, 10 sculpture projects in a semester. Sometimes people are quite enthusiastic. Or to talk about, you know, just classroom management. And, And to just ask those questions as an experienced educator. Because I think when you start out, you're not always sure how that's going to work out and how the timing of all your projects are going to work out. So, so, so I often, you know, will look over syllabi for people and, you know, give suggestions. But again, the projects that they come up with, I strongly believe in academic freedom. And you have to come up with interesting projects that engage your students. So I really want, you know, my adjuncts to do that and my faculty. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I work with, um, I work as a college, I'm in, running the mentoring program for new adjuncts at the college also through our Center for Enrichment of Learning and Teaching. So um, we, we set people up with department mentors and we answer questions. Some of it is purely, you know, logistical, but we want everyone, teaching is really important at the community college level. You know, yes, those of us, there are those of us who do research and I consider myself as one of those since I do have an active studio practice and I'm involved in lots of organizations, but um, it is important. Teaching is important. We want good teaching in our institution. Mentoring is something that I've 
obviously heard a lot about at various conferences, and I feel like it's it's discussed pretty often. But you know, I I know for me as a faculty member um, at the various institutions I've I've worked at, there hasn't been like a like a formal mentoring program necessarily. Do you, do you think that's important to, to have something that's more assigned and, and more formal? Or do you think it just should be something where a person just kind of organically finds someone that they trust and that they can kind of go to? I think both. For me, I found someone organically that I trust. I was lucky to have graduate school, so I had good people to emulate. And then when I got to my current position, you know, I learned from, and, and we were very, we were a small department, so we always bounced ideas off of each other, which I think is really fantastic. So, you know, my, one of my colleagues who I'm, I, I'm pretty close to, I'll come up with an idea, he'll bounce something off of me. So it's, that is more of an organic approach. Our college has started in the last, I think we're in the fourth year of the mentoring program, is we are mentoring new faculty. It is not required. It's, it's a optional program, but everyone who, who has been hired in the last four years has joined the mentoring program, and we meet once a month. They have an individual mentor that they meet with, and we meet as a mentoring cohort once a month. Um, as they've gone up in years closer to tenure, we are doing it less than once a month. The first two years, I think they met once a month, and they've become very close, so it really helped them become a part of the institution and become a part of their department. And so I think um, an official mentoring program is really great, but we don't have it required. I don't know if you can require it. You know, everyone joined in, but some people are a little reticent to talk to someone. They don't, it's not their thing. Right. And especially if that person's assigned and it's not, you know, chosen or it's not, it doesn't happen just because, you know, you both feel comfortable around each other or are both interested. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's so valuable and I think so important to have someone that you trust at your institution that you can go to and, you know, bounce ideas off of, but also say, hey, like, I don't know what to do in this situation or, you know, just sort of dealing with the the politics of departments, you know, can can be challenging for someone new coming in. Yes. We always say what happens in mentoring stays in mentoring. Um, <laughs> that's sort that's of like great. Vegas. <laughs> right. That's so right. important. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Same thing with mentoring. So we do want them to feel that way, that nothing's getting back to a chair or no, no one's get, nothing's getting back to an administrator in that respect. So listen, I think, you know, I, I love my colleagues and I'm able to bounce stuff off of them. And sometimes we're in the hall looking at work and, and, you know, my, one of my colleagues will say to me, so what was the project? And I'll say, well, we did this. And he goes, oh, did you think about this? And I said, no, I didn't, but maybe next time I'll do that. And that, that to me is really exciting. And I think it's good for students too, because we're all different and we have different styles of teaching, but we all sort of have the same ideas and we're, and, and, and what we teach in foundations is similar. We just go about it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good for students to see like one summer, a student did this giant watercolor, really incredible. She got a roll of watercolor paper and she hung it up and she'd worked from a collage and I thought it was too, it had too much fidelity to the collage. It was just too tight. It was hard edged. And my colleague thought it was great. And, and we had this whole discussion in front of her, why I thought one way and he thought the other way. And, you know, she looked at us and like was a little bit startled, but I said, you know, 
this is good because now you have to figure out which direction you want to go. And you have, to, and I think that was good for them to see two different faculty members who had basically the same ideas, but we approached it differently. And I always say, you know, you have to use what you can use from a critique and, you know, take what you can use, digest it and sort of throw out the rest. And this, that was a perfect example of it. So actually that, that is a great idea to have more collaborative critiques on, yeah. on our well, because you get different of opinion, and I think that's good. They should have different opinions. Sure, because there's not necessarily a, a right opinion, you know. I mean, in in certain situations, I mean, I um, I teach collaboratively with another colleague, and it's so helpful in in critiques um, because oftentimes, you know, they'll have an opinion, and I'm like, well, I don't know, I don't think so, or maybe, yeah, I see what you're saying, but I kind of see it this way too. So I think it's really helpful for the students you know, to sort of experience that. And those are higher level thinking experiences that I think they need. You know, as I said, we have community college students, they're freshmen and sophomores. We look at it as the first two years of a BFA program. But, you know, that may be something that happens, you know, in a junior or senior year of a four-year institution. And I like to bring that to our students. So they are well prepared, that they don't walk into a critique when they transfer to an art school and be totally lost because they never had that kind of exchange mm-hmm. or they've never had conflicting opinions in terms of an exchange. Um, so we really do try and prepare them well because we want them to be successful. We want them to transfer and our students are successful. They go to all the art schools and they, they go to Mason Gross and they go to school of visual arts and they go to Pratt and they go to Chicago art Institute and they go to Tyler and they go to all of these great schools, including, you know, the local New Jersey colleges and New York state colleges. And my feeling is I want them to be prepared. We don't have them for four years. Right. Well, so I, I guess if your students, let's say could only, you know, remember one thing from your class, what would you want it to be? Mm, that's a really good question. I don't know. I want them to think. <laughs> I don't know. That yeah. makes sense, yeah. But I want them to be thinkers. I want them to be challenged. I want them to be willing to challenge themselves. Yes, they do learn skills. And I love when that student said to me, you know, you taught me to draw with my arm, not with my hand. And I still remember that 20 years later. Right. I want them to think. I want them to be problem solvers. Um, that's great. That's that's so wonderful because that, that's so applicable and so needed in every in our society, right? <laughs> Not just art. Exactly. It's needed everywhere. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. It has been such a joy talking to you, Susan. I, I really appreciate your time and willingness to um to share about your teaching and your art making practice. Thank you very much. This has really been exciting. I love fate. I think fate is a wonderful, wonderful organization. And, 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 you know, for me, you know, I started going to conferences, I guess a couple of conferences ago, I'd always been sort of a member, but not having gone to conferences. And what's really, I love the dialogue that we have when we're there, that you have all these educators together, just sharing of ideas. And I always leave with something new. And that's, to me, that's the, so not, not the takeaway per se, but that's what makes going to the conference great and that's what makes an organization great as you leave I put those little stars in my notes that say I'm going to do this on Monday and I think that that's really great so it's been a pleasure really to be invited by fate to be part of this podcast which are really fantastic I've been listening to them 
Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I think that the, the conversations are probably my favorite aspect too. I mean, it's so nice that, that we have breakfast and lunch together, you know, in, in the hotel. And so we can continue those conversations and questions from the panels and those discussions and then share meals together. You know, I mean, that's that's so nice. Yes, and it's a continuation of the sessions, um, which is what, you know, the sessions always leave with the conversation continuing, and that's what's really, really very exciting. And, you know, I mean, FATE was really, for me, I'm the president of the Community College Professors of Art and Art History, and FATE is the place that the community college professors should go because we teach foundations. And it's just, to me, a natural connection that's really important. Wow, I didn't realize that, that you were president of, of that. I knew that you were involved, but that, that's really exciting. Yes, thank you. It is. Um, you know, we, we have we have a session at CAA, and we've started having sessions at FATE. So it's really it's really great. And and there are a lot of community college professors who who come and who really benefit, I think, from from what we we get out of teaching foundations. Definitely. And Colleen, who's on the board, she's the um, membership coordinator person. Um, she's at a community college as well. And I know is like really passionate about community colleges. Yeah, I am too. It wasn't the career I envisioned for myself, especially since I sort of started at art school, went to a four-year institution, and then wound up at a community college. But it's a fantastic place to teach and fantastic students. And so I guess that's my you had asked me before, you know, what's my advice to, to new faculty? And I think it's be open to the possibilities. And I, mm. I think that's really important because, you know, it wasn't where I expected to wind up, but it's been, it is fantastic. And I love teaching here. That's wonderful. It seems like it's been such a great adventure in terms of, you know, getting to change projects and getting to, to, to stay flexible and open. Yes, but I think that's anywhere you are. I think you really have to be open and, and be willing to change. No one wants to teach the same project. At least I don't want to teach the same project I've been teaching for you know 20 years. If I don't right. have excitement about what I'm doing, how are the students going to have excitement about it? That's so true. That is so true. Well, thank you again for, for chatting with us. And um, I definitely look forward to seeing you, hopefully, Hopefully before before the next FATE conference. <laughs> yes, hopefully. But thank you again. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting as well. It's been really great. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Caddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.